Welcome to Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys. This is a podcast from CBS News, and I am your host. Every week we discuss issues including hunger. This time we're talking reparations. A San Francisco committee is proposing one-time $5 million payments and debt forgiveness, among other benefits, to black longtime residents. The San Francisco African-American Reparations Advisory Committee writes in a draft report that this is because of decades of systemic repression. To be eligible, the applicant must be 18 years old, have identified as black or African-American on public documents for at least 10 years, and prove at least two of eight additional criteria. The city's Human Rights Commission is supporting the committee's work, and Executive Director Cheryl Davis says this is not about slavery. That conversation after this short break. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Right. I mean, there there's a lot at play in what uh, the committee for San Francisco put forward. Um, you know, San Francisco and California, by and large, has a long history of um, practices that have been what some may call anti-Black. And so we've seen consent decrees from uh, the police department to the Board of Education. We've seen communities decimated and told to move without any compensation or limited or um, not allowed to move into certain neighborhoods. So it, it's been very focused on how to kind of document and track the harm that's been done to Black people in San Francisco. So can you walk our listeners through some of the recommendations if they have not seen them? Well, of course, the one that most folks have talked about is the lump sum uh, cash payment. Uh, and again, that is not about, um, as some may think, to fully compensate for the wrong that is done. That is meant to be kind of the first good faith effort. It was something that was a recommendation again, and really just trying to think through because it's hard to to totally put a value on some of the harm that's been done. Others around um, debt forgiveness is again, more rooted in the, the wealth and things that have been lost and the debt that folks have had to incur, whether for um, housing or for education, uh, in order to um, kind of advance and find their way to success. Um, and some of that folks believe very strongly when we think about specifically the Western edition where people, eminent domain took over people's property and pushed them out and often didn't give them any compensation for the homes that are now worth millions of dollars. So I think that that is 
um, where some of the debt forgiveness comes from. Um, there are other pro- uh, approaches and recommendations that have to do with education. Um, Reverend Brown has talked a lot about health and well-being um, and really wanting to say, how do we talk about the the huge gaps and address the huge gaps in health disparities that we see in the Black community? Um, folks feel very strongly if you get money, but you don't live to spend it, um, what's the point of that? So a lot of the recommendations are more programmatic and how do we address the systems themselves um, and really focused on trying to make sure that we can get folks to a place where they can um, be healthy, wealthy. Okay. And again, that lump sum is $5 million. And forgive me, Reverend Brown is? Reverend Amos Brown, from the, he's a member of both the California State Reparations Advisory Committee, as well as the San Francisco African-American um, Reparations Advisory Committee and the head of the NAACP and Third Baptist Church. I wonder if those two committees have actually spoken to each other, because I spoke to the State Commission earlier, and I think their final report is due right after yours, which is due out around June, right? Right. And so we've had some conversations in the past with members of the committee, and then the San Francisco, um, we will do a report at the state uh, meeting at the end of this month to share what we've been working on uh in San Francisco and the holistic approach that we're, we, we're using. And so we'll do a presentation to the statewide board um, committee uh, at the end of this month. So I guess the biggest question I've been hearing about this is where's the money going to come from, assuming that this is approved? Right. I think that that, that is the, the biggest question that most folks have. And I think part of this conversation is um, also around this whole process, where's all the money going to come from for all the things and what was actually, you know, what do you budget for? When I think about um, places like Evanston that uh, rolled out some of their funding and they didn't spend all of the, they weren't able to actually allocate all the funds out because they didn't have it in uh, yet because they had planned to use funding from uh, cannabis tax. So part of this will be this ongoing process. What we've learned from other communities is that they've also set up um what they call uh, these development authorities or these groups that come in and help with this kind of fundraising piece so that there's not only funding from um, the municipality, but there's also separate outside funding. San Francisco had an ordinance, um, which I need to look it up, but there was an ordinance that required this um that businesses who benefited from slave trade that made money during the slave trade, that they were supposed to, given to a fund. So some of that groundwork has been done in years past where um, there was work around this anti-slave establishment and having those organizations contribute into a fund that would support work like this. So it, it's not a one and done. It's not like here's the report and now the city needs to pay for it. Um, I think that there is a desire to look at banks and corporations and insurance companies and lenders and other folks that have contributed, have contributed to the disparities or ultimately made money off the slave trade and look if there and look and see if there's a way to diversify that funding. But that's something that the committee will explore. Um, that's something that the board of supervisors will have to make a decision on um, what they do with the recommendations once they're submitted to them. A lot of the criticism I've seen actually hinges on the slave trade, right? Since California was not a slave state and there was no slavery in San Francisco. But the argument here is that black people have been harmed by that institution anyway. Is that right? That's true. But I mean, if again, if we think about companies like Wells Fargo, um, they 
slavery may not have been in California, but businesses that are in California benefited from the slave trade. Um, and so I think that's the other piece of this um, research and the work that's being done is like, let's also look at there were a lot of insurance companies and financial institutions that benefited uh, financially uh, from the slave trade. There were a lot of folks who were investing in tobacco or cotton or other industries that were um, benefiting from slave labor. So that's one piece just in terms of the financial piece. And then second would just be around what we've seen with housing. What we look at and again, if we narrowed this down to even say we were just going to look at the, you know, 10,000 plus folks that were displaced from housing during redevelopment, over 80 percent of those folks were black. Right. So if we did it where it's we're not worried about Prop 209 and being much more focused, that, that allows us to really talk about the fact that um, there was a tremendous amount of people who lost their housing who were pushed out and weren't supported. And that's one way to think about it. Or if we think about what happened during um in the education system and the consent decree and all the things that were mandated that San Francisco do because of the, the experience that black students were having in in San Francisco. So there's a lot of documented harm that's been done by systems, by institutions um, that were predicated on the idea and notion of slavery or segregation or Jim Crow. And let me ask you, some some conservatives have called this racist. They say it's unconstitutional, it's unlawful, and it's basically taking money from people who were never, never slave owners to give to people who were never slaves. That's from the former California gubernatorial candidate, Larry Elder. How do you respond? I mean, I think the, the question I have here is more about the process and the systems that were put in place that, um, you know, we've never really recovered from. And so I think there's a lot of back and forth over whether reparations um, should happen and who should benefit and what should happen. But I think that what remains true are the disparities. And I, I'm troubled when people don't want to unpack and understand the disparities. And I think it's wrong to just and it's problematic to say that one group of people is just inherently bad, because that's what we suggest when we say that these disparities that we see in the criminal justice system or in the education system or in health is because it's genetically uh, happening. But I would argue that it is based on the system that was set in place um, as part of the aftermath of slavery. So, you know, I think the debate is not mine to have. It's actually for the committee and for ultimately the board of supervisors and legal counsel to move forward. But I, I do also think that that is a question that everybody has to wrestle with. Like, where would this money come from? Um, and I think that there are a lot of parties in play, and I don't think it's just about taxes. One more question for you. I wonder if you guys are thinking that this can be some sort of national model, right, that other states besides California might follow, because as you know, there's been, you know, for decades and decades, the debate on reparations and how to do it. Do you think this model might be something that other cities or states could use? I think the the model of really being community-led, which this has been, and community-driven and community-informed is important. Um, I think having the conversation is a model that I hope the 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 national, the federal level will pick up in terms of HR 40, just beginning to have the conversation and the dialogue. Um, there are some states and spaces that don't even want to talk about slavery itself, um, which is also harmful in and of itself. So hopefully this model of beginning the conversation, beginning to really think about and trying to outline what it might look like 
um, across the country would be helpful and, and something I hope folks will pick up on. That's Cheryl Davis, Executive Commissioner of San Francisco's Human Rights Commission. Thanks so much for joining us, and thanks to Alan Pang for his production assistance. Like what you hear? Come back for more. There will be new episodes of Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys every Friday. Follow the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. And thanks for leaving a rating or review. Also, thanks for listening. I'm Allison Keys, CBS News. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.